This is episode 16 of the Emerge and Expand podcast. I'm your host, Catherine McKenzie-Smith, and I have another episode of the Do Business Differently interview series with the wonderful Lydia Lee. Lydia Lee's the work reinvention coach at Screw the Cubicle. Since 2013, she's helped hundreds of people transition out of the golden corporate handcuffs, develop successful self-employment strategies, and create an impact with the work they want to do. As an advocate for location-independent careers, she's devoted her work to supporting talented professionals to repurpose their skills towards a meaningful business that gives them the lifestyles they want. Hi, Lydia. I'm so excited to connect with you and have you on the podcast today. It's so good to see you. And I think we're not too far in terms of mm-hmm. location to each other. I'm in Bali at the moment. Very close. I think it's a, a six-hour flight. So yeah, we're bad. in the same time zone-ish. It's Ish. I am so excited to learn about your work. And when we first connected, I went and had a bit of a squiz around. And we have so many shared values about passion and purpose and work. But I would love to hear from you in your words. Can you tell us all a little bit more about the work that you do? Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you had a little visit to my site, with, which I think you know gives a good sense of sort of where um, what I believe in and what I value when it comes to supporting people to not just escape corporate. I know my company name's called Screw the Cubicle. So, you know, a, a lot of the obvious thing that people think about is, okay, this is the woman that helps me to maybe lie on a beach all day and not be working at all. But it's actually the pure opposite. Uh, <laughs> to me, the cubicle kind of represents a very, um, you know, traditional way of how we get to careers and building our body mm-hmm. of work in ways that we sort of understood how to do it from school to working the corporate world. Um, but what I'm sort of here to do is really support people in finding meaningful work and the right work uh, to be doing in the world. So that work doesn't feel like it's that that nine to five window, right? Of like, I'm just here to pay the bills. I'm here to clock in and clock out. But a, a sort of reinvention of work, right? That allows mm-hmm. people to see that they're making a, a valuable contribution. And I think that's an innate human desire to feel uh, on purpose, to feel like there's a reason to get up in the morning beyond just making a living in the traditional mm-hmm. sense. Um, so my official title is I'm a, I'm a work reinvention coach uh, and a solopreneur strategist. So I primarily help mid-career professionals that have sort of done a very, um, you know, the same trajectory of, of a career that they kind of see how their own peers or colleagues have done it in the past, but they're feeling unfulfilled. And, and it may not be the work itself, but the environment perhaps of how they've had to facilitate that work. Um, mm-hmm. And they're really interested in being more in control of where their next chapter of work is supposed to be. So I help them really figure out what is their next chapter? Do they want to keep doing what they're doing? Or is there a a point of reinvention here, a a way that their work can evolve? You know, I'm a big Mm -hmm. believer in that we don't kind of have to throw the baby out of the bathwater. You know, it's not like let's set our degrees on fire and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) flush down all our 20 years of experience doing something great. Um, but to be more creative in how we translate some of mm. our gifts into a different cause, helping different people, right? Or even learning, right? Like if you're in 20 years a doctor, for example, there's things you agree with and not and don't agree with anymore. And how does that help you to support a new wave of thinking, a new innovation mm. in medicine, perhaps, right? That could be quite interesting to solve, right? Um, and then once we get to the crux of what I call the sweet spot for meaningful work, um, then I help them launch that work in a solopreneur 
entrepreneurship model uh, that creates more simplicity, more creativity. And for me, as someone who really values her lifestyle, (laughs) I also really think a lot about what's going to help people launch quickly, but in ways that aren't complicated because we are filled with so much noise in the online mm-hmm. business world, what we think we have to do to be successful, um, that we have to build really large empires to be sustainable. Um, yeah. I'm kind of a, a believer in, you know, Paul Jarvis wrote a book called Company of One. It really resonated mm-hmm. with me. Uh, and it's that small business could is the, is the next big thing. You know, uh, it, you can still make a great living not having a huge empire and being the next Tony Robbins. Like, you could have a cozy business. You could have a boutique brand and have very different different decisions to be made in that business. So I really help people uh, support people to create that model that's really right for their style of working as well. I have so many questions, <laughs> but I fully align with this idea of so many things that you mentioned there. One of them being that I personally am very critical of the way that we're brought up in, in especially in more Western societies of mm. the, the industrial age thinking of following that production line, you know, you get up at this time, you go and do, you know, a school, you go to school at this time, you have your break at this time, then you do this and you do this and then this is the outcome. And then we, and that's just preparing everyone for the traditional corporate workplace. How have you found that in your own journey, navigating the the transition that needs to happen, not just in a, okay, now I'm this solopreneur and I have to do this on my own, but also to recondition your own thinking from the way that that is really instilled in many of us without throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but also knowing that there's a huge identity shift that happens when we start creating our own way to do things. That is such a good question. And you hit the nail on the head, um, you know, saying that there is an identity shift that has Mm. to happen when we have a career change, you know? So when we traditionally had a career change, when you went to a career counselor, and I went to a lot of them when I was first transitioning. And I remember thinking, you know, paying, I think like $600 to the biggest university in British Columbia, which is where I'm from, Vancouver, Canada. Um, And they spat out this report. It was a three-hour assessment, but it, 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 basically measured my skill sets experience according to the most traditional careers. So they spit out in a report, top 10 careers meant for you. <laughs> and my my number one career choice was ESL school teacher. <laughs> because I used to work in language schools, being a business development director, but it was sort of measuring metrics that were really practical and sort of mm. not, in my opinion, no one spoke to me. I, I, I didn't speak to a counselor that kind of went, you know, what's, what makes you like, what, what, what are you interested in? What are some things that you believe in? You know, the sort of mm. more higher level questions of not just my skills, because skills is a tool. I can use my tools for so many things. Right. And that's the confusing part that I yes. think not every everyone really supports people in tying in some themes and patterns and history and sort of a newfound, uh, what what are they looking for in terms of even their own fulfillment for work? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we know we've met that level of satisfaction and fulfillment rather than just, I'm good at it, right? That cannot be the only metric of success, right? right? And so when I was first beginning my corporate transition, oh my God, it's I have my 10 year anniversary, by the way, uh, in 2023. So that's going to be a big milestone. Um, But when I was going through my own transition, um, 
one of the biggest things I had to grapple with and navigate was a my attachment to this definition of success that not only what society has told me that's what it looks like Mm. I come from an immigrant family. I come from a family that immigrated from Malaysia when I was 10 years old, that sacrificed a lot to give me some first world privileges. And even though we grew up quite poor and, you know, really needing to work hard to earn our living, um, I was still, I still had access to good education and benefits and things like that, being a Canadian citizen. And that identity belonging to, you know, a daughter of an immigrant that, that comes with some guilt and shame if I was to give up a good thing, right, yeah. that my family worked really hard to allow me to have access to. And at the time when I left corporate, I was in the highest peak of my career at 26, 27 years old. I was at the midst of being offered a partnership to the company, which I was the youngest person to be offered that. Mm-hmm. I was making the most money I've ever made. Um, you know, it was sort of a dream come true on paper, you mm-hmm. know, but I was really burnt out working to get to that level of success. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, I've climbed the corporate ladder and done all the great things, check, 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 all the things you're supposed to do to get there. But the view isn't what I'm expecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not happier. I'm not more fulfilled. I no longer have time to do the things I really enjoy. I'm working in quite a bit of a toxic environment that makes me feel not good when I enter into the office space. There are so many mm-hmm. other things that I think contributed to that. Um, and I wish I had this like, you know, intuitive moment and said, you know what, you deserve better. There's bigger things for you. I didn't think that because I thought this is just normalized. It's how what everyone else I saw was doing that was getting to that level of success. There Mm -hmm. were sacrifices that you would have to do in order to get there. Um, And it wasn't until I suffered a health scare and a a very bad burnout that happened to me uh, in a, so basically I was in Russia for a business trip and I developed temporary agoraphobia in a hotel room from having so much stress. I hadn't taken a holiday for three years at that time, Uh, jet lagged, obviously overworking 60, 70 hours mm-hmm. a week. And my body just sort of went enough is enough. Here's a symptom for to stop you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're you're not that, paying attention to the mind yeah. cues. So here's exactly. the <laughs> Your mind seems to be really stubborn. We're just gonna mm. get put you down for a bit physically. And that was the most, one of the most scariest thing that happened to me overseas, right? Um, not yeah. knowing anyone and being ill. Uh, but it was also the catalyst for change for me to mm make me look at the choices I was making in my life that even though I was checking all the boxes, I also had to really make sure that the boxes I was checking were boxes that I wanted on that piece of paper, you know, versus what unconsciously was fed to me from my own parents, right? Mm -hmm. Who were very loyal to the companies they were with. And, you know, nobody ever quit their jobs and no one ever did anything any different. You get in line and you do what it takes because we don't have that many opportunities. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what you do. And so Mm -hmm. even navigating that, understanding that my narrative and my story and my opportunities and my personality and my values might be different from my families, that was a huge part that I still have to work on today because I live in Bali. I live a very unconventional life. Um, You know, I don't have children. I'm not married, right? There's all these things that people will say, oh, something's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Something's wrong Mm -hmm. with that choice, right? And having to battle that day to day and go, no, that's my choices. Might not be ideally what you see uh, out there, but these are choices that are right for me. Um, And so that, that piece of even understanding the background stories that come with your identity, 
right? Yes. That is unconscious to us until we really look at them and really understanding what we want to keep. You know, I love the tenacity of my parents that made it happen, you know, as new immigrants, that's always stuck with me, you know, mm. to be a bootstrapper, to really go after things. I don't want to give that part up, right? Yeah. But there were parts of that, you know, sort of scarcity, right? We don't get many opportunities, put your head down, work really hard, work twice as hard as everyone else to get somewhere. That is no longer needs to be my narrative, mm. right? Yes. So working with that through therapy, working with that through trawling myself in other ways of living that really aligned me back to, I think, the core, uh, my own purpose, my own reason to exist in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another big one, Catherine, was this like, this art of exploring and playing with ideas, which I, I don't know, with uh, people who are listening who have like Asian parents, like, what is play? <laughs> There's no such thing. We choose the career and vocation that's going to give you the most security. And that's the thing you go. You know, Mm. when my parents made me play the piano at a young age, it wasn't because I liked the piano. It's because every brilliant kid apparently plays the piano. And you're sort of just put in boxes, right, to have this what would they think is a thriving life for a child. Um, Mm. but, But even, I think, in traditional society, we aren't encouraged to sort of experiment for a bit for certain things, try things on for size, you know, try on this coat of this one work piece of work or something and see if I enjoy it. Let me just not have an objective about it being a career or it being a business right away. And just Mm -hmm. letting me simmer in that space for a minute to see how I feel. Right. That's like not what we're really encouraged to do. We're encouraged to you better pick something correct after high school and you better cross your fingers that that's a vocation that's going to pay for your life. And you go into that vocation and then you get a job and then you just do that like yeah. ongoing forever and ever after more. <laughs> yeah, <pretty laughs> right? um, And then as adults, if you felt that this line of work is not for you or something's changed for you, you're not really allowed to make that change that easily. It almost feels mm. irresponsible. It mm-hmm. almost feels you're not adulting, right? Yeah. But I remember thinking when I was in, in college, like the idea of internships was really encouraged a little bit for, for us at that age. That we're like, okay, go and see if that's the, the, the niche of that industry you really want to go into. Go and work for free. Go and volunteer. Go and do these things to dabble into some ideas, mm-hmm. right? But as adults, mm-hmm. it's almost like internships are forbidden. <laughs> yeah. You, you you should know, you have to know what you're doing immediately mm-hmm. and go and be an adult. And I think that's such a lost opportunity, you know, for um, whatever age we're at, if we have an inclination to do something different, we should have that permission of, for ourselves any, or to give it to ourselves to explore ideas without it having to mean anything right away. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that I wish I did, you know, a bit more when I first started, but I just, you know, it, everything had to be had to be so sure and certain mm-hmm. for me to make a move on it, you know, and knowing what I know today, you know, I think the art of exploring, testing things, figuring things out from small little projects to start with doesn't have to be huge things that has really led me to write more clarity in what's next for me. Mm. So good. I really want to ask you about the overworking, overachiever characteristics because mm-hmm. I know there are a lot of people in my space who will probably be listening to this who will absolutely relate. But before we go down that path of what you're saying, I really want to touch on because as a white person, I don't have the lived experience of having immigrant parents and that experience. I know that that we have a diverse audience here. I would really love to just ask you for a sec, for people who are you know, in that place in their life. So yeah, 
maybe not even in their early decision-making place of the start of their careers, but are in that late 20s, late 30s, early 30s of how to, you know, still love your parents and, as you mentioned so beautifully, that you admire so many things that you have got from them and learnt from them, but be able to have those difficult conversations when you have been brought up a certain way and there is a certain expectation of what what you will give back to to the family but also just like the cultural difference in right. growing up in Canada where that would not seem that big of a change but for your parents it is a big change do you have any tips or thoughts on on someone who's trying to navigate that themselves in this space mm. That's such a, a good question. And thank you for acknowledging that there's, there's different experiences for different cultural backgrounds and traditions. Um, one of the things that I realized early on uh, when I first decided that I was going to leave my job, for example, one of the first people I told was my mother. Um, and n- now thinking back, that was not probably the best decision I could have made. Now, here, you know, what I thought in the beginning of time was that, well, yeah, people close to me should know my intentions because that's what I'm working towards. Um, but what I actually think is around this beginning stage of transition, we have to admit that at this phase of the game, things feel really shaky. Things mm. feel scary. Things feel uncertain. So it is truly important at this moment in, of that phase to be very careful about who you tell your dreams to, because Mm. you too are emotionally on a bit of shaky ground. So we need a lot more allies. We need a lot more support systems that aren't going to question our choices, that aren't going to um, feed doubt into our minds, because we are in that stage of relying on other people's courage, support, Mm. encouragement, right? To be able to kind of step up boldly to even take the next micro step to even entertain this idea of doing something different, right? Sure. And so when I revealed that to my mother and not her fault, her way of parenting, especially Malaysian ways, is all about their language of love, by the way, is about warning you yes, of, of all the horrible things that will happen to you if you make mm. this decision. And I never understood that because I used to say, why are you raining on my parade? Why are you, um, I have this beautiful beautiful dream for my life and you're like poo-pooing on it, you know, and then we'll get into an argument. But I'm not, do- you know, I, just love- I love you. And that's why I want the best mm. for you. And then nothing ever gets resolved because I'm believing she doesn't love me. She's like, hello, I am loving you. This is my language of love. But, you're terrifying you know, me. <laughs> <laughs> Scaring you into submission is the yeah. favorite uh, tiger Asian mom way. Right. Um, but you know, now that I have more tools as a, uh, you know, a more mature adult as well, I would have gone back to that conversation and realized that, first of all, that is her language of love. I have to honor that. I don't have to believe it or accept it, but I can absolutely acknowledge it. And acknowledging it sounds like, thank you so much for thinking of me. Yeah, those are some of the things that, yeah, are some concerns. And it's something for me to work out, right? Yeah. Uh, instead of why are you trying to rain in my parade, which didn't, yeah go anywhere. But more importantly, like when I, when I work with my clients who are women of color, men of color, right. That have, you know, there's like a real, real risk sometimes in revealing what you're Mm going to do. It's not just people poo-pooing on your dreams. There are times where the risk is you could be excommunicated from the family. You could not be, you know, there's like Mm -hmm. shame and guilt that can come with these conversations that affect your 
self-confidence and courage mm-hmm. in a much deeper way. And so you may not want to have that conversation with sometimes your parents until you're at that stage where you do feel solid in some foundations that you've been building, that you have this, you're, you're filled with support systems that have given you that level of courage that even though if they poo-poo it a little bit, you're not completely drained because you're running on empty of, yeah. you know, encouragement <laughs> and support, right? Yeah, um, sure. And then you have more tools, more, right, self-advocacy for yourself to face mm the music if that is to come. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes we do have supportive parents that know how to support properly, right? Um, but my my advice is always curate your, your little team of support mm. in the beginning of time carefully. They yes. may not actually be your friends. They may mm. not actually be what you think are the people you confide into. Um, when I quit my job, it was during an economic crisis in Vancouver where my friends were being laid off. So when I'm telling them I'm going to quit a great six-figure job and a partnership to pursue this thing called entrepreneurship, of course they were scared. So they were telling me things I don't want to hear either, you know, that were like, you should be lucky to have this job. How dare you give up something Mm. that everyone else is looking for at the moment? Again, not their fault. They are also, I think, people tend to project their own fears onto other people. So when they're saying the things that you should be watching out for, they're kind of saying it to themselves too, right? They, they, They too kind of are scared of that and want to make sure that you don't run into the same mistake or those same problems, mm. right? Um, yeah. And so for me, it's been really important to encourage my clients to think about even new communities, new networks of people that are that have the point of view they have now, that are mm. changing their lives in ways and value systems that are similar to the way that they want to see life and see the way that they grow. And those are the people to, to, to brainstorm your plans, talk about your life, make mistakes with because they're not going to shame you for doing making that decision you know because mm-hmm. that's also the kind of vision that they have with their lives as well mm, absolutely i always think of it as a like a little seedling so when you're just starting mm-hmm. out on a new endeavor like starting a business which is a big thing it's like a little baby seedling and it hasn't got roots yet and so you have yes. to be really careful of who totally. who you talk to about it because of how fragile it is in that moment exactly. and so i think yeah. that that analogy works so perfectly with what you've said because once it's grown roots and it's a bit more firm so, ground yeah beautiful right it gives you the ability to step out and share it more openly right. and and be able to be able to weather the storm when yes. there's people who we love the most of course yes. you know yes. maybe do have some some fears and worries around it being able to weather that storm when mm. you've got those roots in a little bit more thank you yeah, so much absolutely. for sharing really, that. really well said there definitely mm-hmm. So the next question that I have for you is, as you've been talking so far today, what screw the cubicle actually feels like to me is not so much ditch the nine to five, get out of the corporate workspace, but what it really feels like is this idea of let's stop thinking in a three by three square. That's right. Yeah. Let's bust out of the way it's always been done, the way we think we're supposed to fit. This is what life is supposed to be like. Yeah, we're supposed to hate our jobs and hate Mondays and bitch about all these things. And one thing that definitely, I mean, I've been in business nearly as long as you have, and I didn't come from a traditional corporate career, but I definitely came from one that was a decision I made when I was 15 years old and way too uh, young to make a decision about my whole life that did 
require an unraveling of the identity of what it's like to work in like a pretty cool creative Mm. industry but even still took years to unravel the the socialized conditioning of what work is and what what you're supposed to do on a Monday and sitting at the desk at 9am, whether I felt like it or not on 9am on a Monday morning, and then years and years passing and realizing this is my business to make the rules on. I can, it can look how and feel how I want it to be. But this is something that I see over and over again. And especially in the, the entrepreneurial space, because there are so many people supporting other new entrepreneurs. How do we encourage that creativity and getting out of that little cubicle in amongst the, hey, join my program and I'll teach you this six-step process or I'll help you do this, 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 and actually really get the message out about how this is your thing to make your own as long as you're not hurting anyone else. It's, It's about your rules and not just slipping back into the the hamster wheel of of what we've been conditioned into, which is really hard to do. I know this mm. is a big question. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I always say, you know, we can get the girl out of uh, the corporate world, mm. but the corporate mindset can absolutely follow, you know, the entrepreneurship pathway as well. I'm a yeah. prime example of that. Um, I had my second massive burnout in 2015 during one of my highest revenue year in my business. And that was due to me doing this, uh, exactly what you were saying, not being conscious about that I'm allowed to build this business in a way that I see fit. That wasn't a permission I knew I could give myself. You know, I was still following in a lot of ways that trajectory of looking at the person ahead of me mm. and seeing what they're doing. So when I was, you know, in, in in my year when I launched my coaching practice was around 2013, you know, Marie Forleo, for example, was mm. huge. I mean, she still is. She's great and beautiful. Um, but it didn't just because I admired Marie didn't mean that I wanted to build an empire like she mm. was building, for example, right? So when I was making decisions about what products I should be offering, how I was doing this, what suites of offerings do I have every single year? Um, it was very, it was done in a way that was very unconscious, which is, this is the trajectory of how a coaching practice looks like. You've got a mini course, and then you lead them to the blah, blah, blah. And then you have a leap bag that, and then you have these courses, then you launch again every quarter, mm. and then you have retreats, and then you have a book. And that... You know, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. and it, I mean, I'm I'm exhausted just really yeah, already. <laughs> but to me, that was very normalized. That oh yeah, yeah. all coaches have eight products to sell every single mm-hmm. year, and mm-hmm. so then. I started hiring people. I had a full team going on. I wasn't writing my own blogs anymore. I wasn't, you know, like, yeah. and what that did, even though it, it again, on paper, <laughs> funny how that story follows me, on paper, I looked really successful. Mm-hmm. But in personally, I was no longer connect. I was no longer being a coach and yeah. being doing the work that I enjoyed doing. Yeah. I actually became more of a marketer, which was not what I signed up for. But all of a sudden, I have to deal with these funnels and, oh God, you know, like, what am I doing? Trying to learn all these things I'm not that great at when actually my business may not require all these bells and whistles to operate Mm. in a way that I wanted to operate. And the one big thing that having that burnout taught me, first of all, taking a sabbatical, taking a break, not trying to solve the problem when you're unrested, stressed, (laughs) and overwhelmed, taking a bit of distance from the thing itself. Um, and coming back to me, you know, remembering what I had to figure out when I had my first burnout, 
you know, I had to redefine again. For, mm. First of all, was redefining success, right? During that time of leaving corporate. And now was redefining what is good enough work? What is good enough uh. income? What is a good enough model? What's a good enough lifestyle for me? And then be more intentional about adding in the elements of offerings or team or revenue mm-hmm. that lets that that conclusion of that goal happen. That yeah. the idea and the big shift for me is not that bigger is always better. Yes. Maybe it's not. Maybe yeah. better is better. Maybe focusing on one thing and doing yeah. that really well is mm-hmm. not a bad call. You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that if I wanted to have a cozy boutique brand that isn't the next Tony Robbins or Marie Forleo in the world, that's okay too, because I enjoy intimacy. I enjoy having long-term clients that I work with personally. Some people don't like that. I really love one-on-ones. I really love a small group. When I look at my personal life, I hate crowds. Uh, Everyone thinks I'm an extrovert. I'm actually more of an ambivert and have introvert qualities. I like to be alone. I like to Mm -hmm. simmer and speak to people in very small containers. And so here I am building these large courses, large retreats, large everything. I was not in my zone of genius. You know, so work felt harder. Work felt more, oh, I can't seem to get all the things I want to get done because the layout of how I was facilitating my work didn't support me in being Mm. that version of who I was, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And during that time, I read a, a really great book called Company of One by Paul Jarvis, which I really loved because it was like giving me permission to go, hey, wealthy, successful people can have this model is possible. You just don't hear about them very much because they're busy having a life. They don't, they're not <laughs> building this huge ass brand that's on every social media platform. Most of them are not even on social media, which was like, mm. oh, great. <laughs> right. So that really shifted my, my thoughts around what's possible simply by seeing someone I respect and admire in terms of mm. prioritizing his lifestyle choices. That is possible. And that helped me get into the trajectory of, again, restructuring my business, my work, how I showed up for clients, what were the boundaries of what I do and don't do. And that, you know, doing better things, being more, being more focused in growing something with that attention might be Mm -hmm. better than having scalable products, you know, that are eight offerings a year, which might be really exhausting. So that's my sort of transition into solopreneurship where I still work with teams. I just don't work with them every day. I don't want to manage people. I -hmm. love hiring people way smarter than me, paying them great money, and they help me in parts of my business. So I'm more project-based teams. You know, I I don't work with someone full-time, which is great. I have a flexibility in my years where um, I can take three months off a year if I wanted to, as long as I plan for that to happen Mm. for me. And I am someone that needs longer breaks, for example. So that is kind of designed into my model every single year, right? Um, And so- I, I tell you that story because I think that that is a really good look at what can happen if you don't pay attention. <laughs> to oh my gosh, how so much. Built. <laughs> yeah. And right? also, like, sometimes just shutting out the noise of what yes. we think everything needs to mm, be, right? Exactly. Like the, that should be what we're all working towards. And it's that or nothing. Like, you're either successful or you failed. And mm-hmm. I just love that story so much. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Just so and good. also back back to what you were saying about the noise, right? I think mm-hmm. we live in a world where there's that sort of paradox of choice, right? As well, yeah. so the more 
different types of things we see out there, the more confused we get about where do I start? Everyone's saying yes. something different. Now, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, looking at looking at people as just like what I did with Paul Jarvis with Company of One. It's really powerful when you have witnessed someone that's doing the thing you thought may not be possible. That gives you bravery to sort of mm -hmm. keep trekking towards that path. But mm -hmm. Before that phase happens, sometimes we're in that no man's land of like not quite sure what's the thing for us. And that's when I think you're right. It's, it's a really good idea to like maybe just mute your Instagram for a bit. Just don't go on social for a little while yeah. or subscribe to all the newsletters that you think mm -hmm. you have to subscribe to mm -hmm. and take that necessary pause for a minute to just really think about if you were the cook in the kitchen, if you could make a role for yourself, as you said, right? If you could... <sighs> I really just imagine a day-to-day -day of what your life looks like, right? And be focused on your own intuition, your own needs, your own, you know, I work with 80% introverts. So their way of working with clients and projects and timelines are very different from an extrovert, mm -hmm. for example. Like, what's your style of working? How do you want to earn a living? What are sort of the types of tasks even that yeah. it's like, oh, this is my thing. I love it. I could do it for hours, right? What are those things? And and thinking about how do you want your model to look like? You know, what mm -hmm. do you need more time off every year? Do you have uh, some some of my clients have a disability where they cannot work forty hours a week? They can only work twenty, right? That's something to acknowledge and account for. Yeah. Um, if they've got three children and they're a single mother, there's other priorities again in their way of working that requires them to have a different role that is important to them, right? So mapping that out, you don't have to know what the model is, but even just mm. knowing the ingredients, the ingredients yes. that we have to put into the, the pot <laughs> so For that sure. when, right? Like that can then, then I think you have a little bit more context so that when you go back out there into the wild, wild west of social media and the <laughs> internet, you can start to think about or look for people that represent that those mm. values too. Mm -hmm. Right. People that go, hey, cozy is better. Small business is great. Or I'm a single mom, too. Here's sort of how that's happened for me. So you're following the right people that yeah. actually help you live out your values rather yes. than only tracking people who are successful. But maybe they got to that level of success or version of success in ways you don't want to go there. <laughs> that's important. Right. Like everyone for has sure. their pathway, you know, yeah. of success, but not every pathway is right for you. And so knowing yourself first and then being able to uh, curate again, right? The communities, the allies, the coaches, the support systems that are mm. meant for your type of way of working or living, yeah. then I think you have a much better chance of being influenced more positively, right? Than making you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Anyone who's listening to this will just be like, oh, this is literally the perfect person to have on this podcast. It's literally <laughs> everything we talk about on here. And I was having this conversation with uh, the Emergent Expand group. So we have a, I have a membership mm. that is a kind of part of this podcast. And we were talking about this this morning around a, a topic that's quite, you know, not talked that much about in our industry, but around ethics and mm. values totally. and how important it is to actually work out your own first but also like you said when you are observing when you are seeing looking for people who are doing it in a way that you would like to do it how positive an influence that is mm. and then also sometimes how we can take less positive experiences that we inevitably have along this journey as a way of you know, acknowledging that, hey, everyone's out there doing their thing and they all have sovereignty over the decisions that they're making in their businesses. Absolutely. 
but also then coming back to our internal guide point of, okay, well, how does that feel for me? And, Mm. oh, that's a really great lesson because that's something I would never do in my business and Mm. not necessarily from a place of judgment, but actually just from continuing to work the muscles of our own ethics and values and integrity so that we can be making decisions from that place in our business because success looks different for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's so beautifully said. And, and you're absolutely right. I think that I kind of look at that almost like when we know our own metrics, right? That, that was a huge part for me as well. Understanding my metrics of good enough money, what what does yeah. you know what does rich look like for me what does yes. feeling wealthy look like for me i know the internet tells me it's seven figures and eight figures yeah. i live a different life i don't need the lamborghinis yeah. i don't need the prada bags i yeah. like to have time i like to you know even my trips and things like that i'm not on a yacht all day right like it's a very different you have to define what wealthy rich comfortable right feeling generous to your family and friends what does that look like for you and how much would it cost for you to live your kind of life, right? Mm -hmm. That might be more simple and might be not extravagant because why is six and seven or, you know, even six figures, some people don't need six figures to make a great living. Um, We got to stop sort of telling people that that's the metric of success that they should be looking for. And they're not there, then they're not measuring themselves up to the right stick kind of thing, right? But metrics to me is so much more than just how big a model uh, a business is or how much money they're making is also the fulfillment parts of that job or that interaction with clients. You know, one of my biggest metrics to know I'm successful is when I actually show up having fun with clients. Like fun is a metric. (laughs) If I'm not having fun, it's the wrong thing, right? And I think knowing these different, right, metric points, whatever, however you define those for you, can really act as a compass, So that when you're out there in the wild west of opinions and viewpoints and the latest trend and hacks, your compass will go, oh, that's interesting. I can see how that's going to work, but that's not something I'm willing to do or what something that resonates with me deeply. Go on. Yeah. Keep doing that. I root for you from the side, but not my thing. Moving on right to the, to something else that's more in tune with the way that I Mm. want to build my pathway to success. Mm. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, that was yes. <laughs> I definitely hey, disagree yes. with everything. Know, I'm, so, I'm so glad you mentioned this. It's such a big thing of mine as well that I like to talk about. <laughs> I want to keep talking, but this will end up being so so huge. I know. We need a part two. I, I know. <laughs> we, yeah, maybe we'll have to come back for a part yes. two. I guess at this point, you know, both of us have been doing this for a while. And so to come to this conclusion at a stage in your business where you have made the mistakes, and I say that as the general you, as in both of us, I walked away from my business after two years for about three years because I did the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. I followed the plan that wasn't my plan and as a massive introvert was just dreading showing up, you know, for my business and had to just step back and and help my partner with his business for a while and just step back from it all and when I came back it being a really big intention that's like no this we're doing it differently this time yeah. we're not following those patterns of past overachieving you where mm. everyone else is the expert you know you're the expert but like you know because you have to position yourself as the expert yeah but, but you have to listen to all these other people who are much further ahead than you because they're the right. experts in marketing and sales and funnels and all of the things and yeah. so because we've embodied all of that it is so easy for us to both sit here and be like oh you just need to know yourself (laughs) you know just don't do the things that don't feel right to you but for someone who's maybe early in their journey who is looking at that 
they may be in that transition, they may be trying mm-hmm. to balance the full-time job and thinking about starting something else, or they are just early on and trying to navigate even finding that attunement with their own inner guidance and coming back to trusting that when there is so much noise and for those of us who are more introverted we can be influenced by the energy of other people so when there's lots of big energy out there it can get really messy do you have any tips or suggestions for someone who is in that place where they're like okay this sounds great but how do I even start Mm. trying Mm. to fine-tune my own version of success and my own passions and my own business model of how I want to do it Yes. That's such a great way to say it as well. How do I fine tune, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's not, it's not a direct linear thing, is it? You know? (laughs) And and I think I'm not there yet. If I, you know, when you think about even 10 years in business, I'm like, I think I've just scratched the surface about what makes me tick. Uh, And that's exciting. That's exciting to actually not know it all. Yes. I used to be someone as a type A perfectionist and overachiever. Yeah. I needed to know, you know, two steps ahead for me to do anything because that's the safe part. And I mean, that came also from, I think, from an insecure place of growing up in poverty and things like that. So that's mm-hmm. fine. That comes with the story I'm trying to change as well for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in this, whenever we're doing anything new or thinking about doing something new, I think we need to give ourselves this sort of. I don't know, a space or what, however you sort of look at it, like one of the things I love doing. So for example, a great story is me moving to Bali, never meant to move here. Decade later, I'm still here. But in the beginning of time, I was terrified to travel by myself as a woman going to a third world country. I didn't even plan to come to Bali. I was just going to travel through Southeast Asia and see if I could do this remote work thing when remote work Mm. wasn't a hashtag just yet (laughs) (laughs) in 2012. Um, But I, my, my, my brain was like, no, 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 things are going to happen to you, blah, 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 blah. So it wasn't allowing me to have that space to test, explore because it needed that certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the only way I, I gave myself that permission to go for it is giving it this sort of boundary time. Like I'm going to check in in three, at three months, I can come back at any time. Amazing. I can, if I'm unsafe, I can come back. You know, if I'm not happy, I can come back. Um, and just giving myself this pep talk of like, it's not forever because the brain seems to think everything's permanent. Right. <laughs> like you can't make a mistake because if this will be our, you know, death sentence to something, yeah. it sort of has this very um, detrimental way of looking at things sometimes because partly mm. it's jobs to keep you a bit safe. It has the ego mind in there, right? It's yeah. not wrong to say it wants you to be secure and safe, uh, but it's also not the thing that's going to allow you to expand your horizons to challenges and living a bigger life. You know, living a bigger life means doing things that are different. And that is scary. That comes, it's like the price of admission, uh, mm. you know, uh, of, of a better life, right? Is the, the, that you, you need to feel some of these feelings, right? In order to know that you're doing something different at all, but it, it doesn't, I don't, I think we have to give ourselves this like, um, sort of, I want to say permission, but I have a better word in my head that I can't seem to think of right now, but it's like this gentleness to mm. allowing ourselves to, you know, like children, when children say, I think I want to be an astronaut. Yes. Uh, we don't go, that's not a viable career. <laughs> Johnny, you should really think about being an accountant. And, you know, we don't say that to children. We're like, astronaut, oh, good on you. Let's get you an outfit. Let's mm. uh, get you a science book. Let's watch a documentary on space, right? Like we encourage that 
wild imagination and we don't poo-poo on those streams. But mm-hmm. as adults, if we are like, oh, I think I want to be a writer. I've never been a writer before, right? And right away we think really practical. I need a degree for this. I'm not allowed to do this unless I have that. And then we start yeah. to like, for lack of a better word, like cock block ourselves into, <laughs> right? Like the dream. And, you stomp and, on the little plant, right? <laughs> to- totally. You're just like not good to the little Johnny there, right? Like yeah. you wouldn't do that if you were a child. And I think there's mm-hmm. some, that kindness and gentleness and that playfulness that I think we need to cultivate or remember because we always have had it. And that even as adults, we can play, we can mm-hmm. take on an idea and just obsess about it for 30 days. Go and find out things about it. Go and talk to someone who's doing that thing. Go and explore ways that we could up-level our skills if we were to be better at that thing. Let yourself be in the world of yes mm-hmm. of that thing for so a bit. Good. Right? Without yeah. an objective of like, it has to be a side hustle. It has to be my next oh, career. Right. Yeah. Why that is not that doesn't need to be the next question. Mm-hmm. The next question can just be. I just want to see what makes my little heart sing. I just want to see something that kind of lights some fire in my belly. I want to just see if there's something cu- that that sparks my curiosity enough to keep me on the rabbit hole of exploration mm-hmm. Love and it. see where that leads. Right. Yeah. And so that's you know hopefully that makes sense. That sort of more kinder, gentler approach to playing. That I think is that gray area that we skip (laughs) because we want the solid business plan, the solid career transition plan. Right. But I think having a bit of playtime, whether it's a Mm. quarter of the year, a month, whatever's the thing that makes you feel safe and easy enough to get started. Right. Just let yourself be in that sandbox for a little minute. And I think that will give you more clues to knowing thyself a lot yeah. more than when we become an adult and try to plan things in very detailed ways, right? Yeah. Um, so make mistakes. You're, so in the sandbox, you're allowed to fall. You like to scrape your knee. You're allowed to um, sort of, you know, slip and 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 land on your bum a little yeah. bit. That's yeah. the whole point: is to kind of just see what happens and see what sticks. Um, and I and I think if we look at every experience, whether it worked out for us or not, or whether it got us somewhere or not, it is still insight. You know, yeah. knowing what we don't right. want is yes. great. Yes. Oh, I tried <laughs> that. Right? Okay. I'm done with that now. That was the you wrong can put it to bed. Now. You can put it to bed. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then you can move on and never have to wonder again, mm. could I have been a writer? Could I have been? Yes. Well, let's see, try it on for size, yeah. you know? Uh, don't be a best-selling New York author. Be uh, just write a, a, a quick story on Medium.com. You know, yeah. write a, a blog that no one else will see but you. Right? Doesn't have to be. It's the act of doing that thing mm. rather than the validation of other people that really matters to. I think um, aligning ourselves back to a relationship that we've lost contact with, and that's all it is. Right? A relationship with self that takes a bit of dating, takes a little bit of you know, like needs some time. To get to yeah. know ourselves. So give our I think giving ourselves that permission of time is so important instead of rushing it as we have been told in such a hustle mentality world we live in. Yeah, and the seriousness of it. Like that feels like what the opposite is. It's like you're an adult now, you need to be serious, you have responsibilities, and then we just turn our backs on on that childlike mm. wonder. Mm. And the curiosity. Oh, my goodness. I love that so much. I cannot even express to you how much I love everything that you've said. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I want to keep going. But I I do try and keep these to a certain time limit. Thank you so much, Lydia, for coming in, sharing your 
passion and what and that's what you can tell when someone is in the joy of what they do they just talk about it with such reverence and not only are you just beautifully showing people how to do that but embodying it and living it yourself so thank you so thank much you, for that for anyone who would like to connect with you further can you just tell us obviously all of the the show notes will be available on the website but for anyone who wants to check you out while they're listening can you give them where they can find you Absolutely. Well, my little home online is screwthecubicle.com. Uh, right on the homepage, there's a couple of great resources that people can start with. Um, I have a great YouTube channel that actually has different stages of transition. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you go either, if you're in corporate transition, if you're in that phase of building or figuring out what your meaningful business is to the growth of a business, there's videos there on a playlist for you to watch. And it's mm-hmm. videos I've done since 2014. So you'll see an old me, a new me. <laughs> but a lot of it is, I think um, a really good place to just start understanding where to start, you know, in Mm. your journey, that's going to allow you to be less overwhelmed. And also just do more of the things that matter to where you're at with your stage rather than overachieve or over digest things that um, might be too, you know, not not as stress-free, right, to do when you do it that way. Um, In my website as well, there's a really helpful and handy quiz uh, that I always like to recommend, especially people who are really interested in building a business that is aligned with their genius zone and their personality types. so right on the top of the homepage, you'll see the quiz there. Or if you go to uh, screwthecubicle.com forward slash quiz, that's where you'll find it as well. And that's a really great one to just get a, a sample of like based on, you know, who you are and and what your style is of working with people. So yeah, that's those are my resources you can find on my website. Thank you so much for being here and for just sharing so much of yourself with us today. I have thoroughly enjoyed it and we'll definitely have to think about doing a part two. Yes, I would love that. Yes, thank you so much for such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to catch this full interview on YouTube, you can head over to youtube.com slash Catherine McKenzie Smith to grab the show notes, full transcript from today's episode. And to connect with Lydia further, you can just head to emergeandexpand.com forward slash podcast 015. And if you're enjoying this interview series, I would love to hear from you. Either head to Instagram and shoot me a DM at miss underscore KMS, or I would love it so much if you'd leave a rating and review if you're on Spotify or Apple podcast listening to this. Otherwise, I will catch you in the next one.